Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee, and this is the Autosport Podcast. Max Verstappen won the US Grand Prix ahead of... Lando Norris, who marked his fourth consecutive podium in a resurgent McLaren, and Carlos Sainz, third in a Ferrari which looked to have better pace here at Cota. And if you're listening to this after watching the Grand Prix and thinking, he's lost his mind, well, Lewis Hamilton and Charles Leclerc both disqualified for plank wear. So revised top ten, Verstappen, Norris, Sainz, Perez up from fifth to fourth, then we lose Leclerc as well, so Russell up two to fifth, Gasly sixth, then Stroll in seventh, Sonoda, who got the fastest lap, we'll talk about that, in eighth, picked up five points in the end. Then, double Williams points finish, Albon and Sargent. So, joining me tonight, Alex Kalanokis, Matt Q, and rarely allowed out of his padded writer's cell, but occasionally he is. Stuart Codling joins them on location at Circuit of the Americas. Gents, welcome. Thanks for joining us on a late one tonight. Well, let's get into that that what happened afterwards because a lot of our listeners will be listening to this on the commute whatever people do these days on a monday morning if they're not commuting from the office and hearing about a double disqualification what happened and then just tell us what you think of uh, of the situation hamilton and leclerc have been disqualified from the race so that's second and sixth position thrown out and that's because the rear part of the plank was uh, found to have exceeded the one millimeter limit of wear that can happen over a weekend and so both teams have said really it's a sprint race and the circuit of the americas that contributed to that so sprint race you only get one free practice session of 60 minutes and then the cars are locked into park fermé and part of that is what you can do with the rear ride height how high it is how soft it is to impact whether they're you know over the bumps being pushed into the circuit making contact and and the wear but also that means that you can't then in Park Fermi, you can't take the plank off to give it an accurate measurement. You can sort of look at it and go, oh, that looks a bit worn out. So the teams aren't 100% sure of how it goes in. They can only take an educated guess about about how the plank will fare after that. And then, um, uh, so that's that's how the sprint race has affected things. And then because, basically, we've turned up to the Circuit of Americas, it's been a whole lot bumpier than, than anyone thought. They've resurfaced turns 12, 14, 15, 16 to leave it looking a bit like a patchwork quilt. The three of us went trackside on Friday and, you know, we we're taken aback, I think, by the, the jittering of the cars at the apexes. And so there's been contact. And, you know, the, as as uh, an analysis piece will run on autosport.com on Monday morning, it, there's sort of a bit of, this isn't quite clear cut because you've had four cars hauled aside, Norris, Verstappen, plus the two guilty parties, and two of them have been found compliant and you've had the race results change accordingly. So that raises the quite topic of, have the cars now bumped into the top 10 given points? They've not been checked. So is there a possibility that they have been running illegally and not been checked? Because park firm air conditions remain in place until for 30 minutes after the race, by which time, if those cars aren't checked, they're then 
handed back to the teams and they can adjust the settings from then on and there's no way of finding if they're compliant or not. And because Hamilton and Leclerc have been done for a technical infringement, that is like a slam dunk case. There's very little point why they would appeal that. So that the race result will most likely stand, but there's cars that haven't been checked. Now, the counter to that is that the FIA have reviewed or throughout the race is an ongoing process of looking at onboard footage to see whose head's jiggling. Uh, people on the pit wall can report the stench of titanium when it's kissing the asphalt. And as a result of 2022, the introduction of ground effect and porpoising, the FIA also have metrics on how much a car is oscillating. So from those, they've looked at some outliers and decided that certain cars need checking, which is also why they have um, checked one Mercedes, but not the other, one Ferrari, not the other, because they believe one car is more guilty than the other. So so I hope in, in a snapshot that, that explains uh, what's gone on. Um, and... The, then you have, I suppose, the more philosophical bit, which is, you know, we're in front of 432,000 fans this weekend, while the ones here on race day have watched events play out and, and then have, will, you know, go home to a completely different result. Um, but, yeah, with with these technical cases, I think, you know, we always know it's a disqualification, but the floor one specifically, I think the most recent press uh, example, we have F2 ones, but whereas F1's concerned, it's the United States Grand Prix of 2001 with Yano Trulli. So that's what we're, what's we're uh, working with. There will be some people who are disappointed that the result hasn't completely changed. The uh, idiots who are booing Max Verstappen on the podium might have been hoping for... Two rare things happening this weekend. I'm joining a Sunday night long analysis podcast uh, whilst on event... Normally I tune in from home, so it's nice to be able to do that. But also, because of the way the layout of the circuit was where we were, when we were there earlier, it's quite easy to get from the media centre to the podium. So I was able to go down to the podium. And I'm I'm convinced that some boos were from Max Verstappen. There were an awful lot of boos for the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, as well. He was really not liked on the podium <laughs> when he gave the trophy to Max Verstappen. So I wonder if that was all getting wrapped up in there. But anyway, obviously not what we're here to discuss. I think, um, yeah, let, let, let's look at the two uh, philosophical things you raised there, Matt. Right. Well, the first one is um, I, I, I don't care that some people will have seen that race and the result has changed if they're out of compliance that's how it's got to be it's like um it's a bit like the the the, the taking a fuel sample you're either legal or, or you're not and it has to be a draconian punishment and it's and it's long-standing as you say you cite that example of Jarno truly i was there in 2017 at the uh, belgian grand prix uh, covering formula two charles leclerc again uh, was disqualified <laughs> in, in that race, race he won uh oliver Rowland was as well yeah it's one of those famous examples we know from my tracing that that can happen. I guess the wider philosophical thing is, should they be checking every single car for this? And I know, Matt, you have some particular thoughts that we have been earlier on lambasted about by the FIA's various officials. Yeah, I think their uh, attitude is, if you, want to, if you want them all done, get a tape measure and do it yourself. Well, as we know, they're, they're, they're trying to find the drivers a million euros, so maybe they could, maybe they could be funding that. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, it's... It's, it's, it's one of those things because I'm I, I'm sort of not so fussed that they're not checking every car. I think this wasn't uh, an attempt to blatantly cheat. As you say, you've mentioned the sprint race uh, mitigation. The bumps here are horrific. They're, they're, well, they're worse than last year. Let's put it there. I was, I, I was at uh, Turn 1. As you mentioned, our trackside wanderings. I did that in 2022 and it's definitely like, visibly worse. And this track is just a bit strange. Like Lewis Hamilton said in the press conference, the final sector is absolutely fine. The pit lane's fine. Mm. Just the rest of it, we know there's historical issues of subsidence and things like that, and the the, the the land that the track is built on. But yeah, uh, Max Verstappen detested it so much he called it. Um, it was more like driving a rally car than uh, than uh, than a Formula One car, and says it's not F1 standard, which is which is pretty punchy. And I'm sure the uh, organisers of the US Grand Prix will be delighted to hear that. But there we go. Um, so yeah, obviously not an attempt to to cheat. So therefore, the 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 random checks thing should be enough of a deterrent because the teams know that if they are going to blatantly cheat, eventually they will get caught. And teams like Mercedes have got their, you know, uh, their massive company compliance things to, to consider. So yeah, I, I'm not too fussed about it, but, but Matt, maybe you feel a bit differently. Well, is, is that argument of, you know, have, 
have teams or are there illegal cars out there I suppose have some of the people that have got points now I'm not going to name any drivers specifically if else it seemed like I'm targeting them but have, have we know you're Lance Stroll's biggest fan <laughs> <laughs> and he's, he's your biggest fan as well <laughs> two tall people eyed each other up in Qatar and it all got a bit heated didn't it absolutely it was very warm in Qatar uh, but so but it's just that question of if other cars are there and the FIA's argument is that there's an element of pragmatism to this that, you know, we'll be here until Wednesday in the week if we're to check everything on every car, which is why they look at these metrics. But, you know, to, to relate to unrelated things, it's a bit like them widening the lines on track limits. Something should be hard and fast and not at all open open to interpretation. That is something I'm furious about, by yeah. the way. But anyway, carry on. But, and, and, you know, their argument is that it's, it's pragmatic that despite these new million pound fines for now it's a limited technical team so they can't go around and check every car and basically these cars need to be unloaded in mexico city in a couple of days time so they can't be held back unnecessarily they need to be off what with what's the shipping partner dhl and and you know arrived on time and signed for by by the person at the door so um yeah it's just so i i totally get the practical point of view but you know as uh as a philosophy grad at university, I don't, I don't like the, I don't like the grey area this has created. Or oh, the, I, I, I gave up my philosophy at uh, AS level, prefer to do English literature. I um, firstly can't abide people who flaunt their education. Uh, <laughs> says the man who constantly says he spent uh, seven years in the catering industry getting uh, 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 an education in in various cooking things. It, indeed, uh, one thing I would say is I don't hold with the belief that um, it's a terrible thing for the results to be amended after uh, a race because it somehow cheats the people who've been watching trackside or on the TV uh, because you know e- either a car's legal or it's not and if you were to say well the result has to be set in stone the minute the final timing sheet has been compiled into a pdf and uh, the send button's been clicked um that, well that would just tempt people to feel illegal cars wouldn't it so it, it's a nonsense from start to finish there has to be this checking procedure and if if a car's found to be illegal then the competitor has to be thrown out and if someone who's enjoyed the race and watched their five favorite driver win on the po- finish on the podium and then they get up the next morning and spit their orange juice out all over their cornflakes because they found out uh, they've been disqualified i'm afraid that is a necessary evil also just just very quickly i don't think they're ever going to find anyone a million but certainly not a driver a million euros that was that whole thing i think the drivers totally overreacted to a thing that's just not going to happen i think i think just to pick up on what cod has said though that's that's where there is like an element of a gray area again the fact that instead of it you know okay they could all cheat if the result was declared on the nose on the on the checkered flag but we get provisional point but the other way to go would you know then to have you know, a six-hour window, let's say, where you can protest the results. Other teams can. As it stands, it's only 30 minutes. So what we have today is a situation where the cars have been checked and drivers been noted and called to the stewards, but that memo has been distributed after the 30-minute cutoff has gone. So therefore, the cars are returned, no longer in Park Fermo, so then they can be changed. And basically, you cannot measure that after, after the effect. So... You know, let's say, for example, someone who's really on their cross this season is Andy Stevenson, Aston Martin, who, who protested the Saudi penalty for Alonso and, uh, again, the track limits debacle in Austria. He is then like, you know, I suppose he can't do anything about today's result because the half an hour window has passed. And then after that point, like non-involved parties can't protest the race result all it can be is ferrari and mercedes appealing the dsq which they're never going to do for a technical infringement because i think actually aston is a good example because vettel was it 2021 in uh, hungary in hungary got we watched that race together didn't we Yes, we did. Yeah, that was excellent. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but he he got chucked out for um, failing to provide a fuel sample. They didn't then ask all other teams for uh, you know for that fuel sample. But Aston could categorically prove they had a fuel leak, which is why they were under the is it the one liter sample at the end of the race, but. It's still, at that point, I was going to say home and dry, but that sounds a bit insensitive to someone that's got no fuel. So let me ask you this then. In a sport that's the pinnacle of motorsport, where everything is checked down to the the finest of details, the listeners might be wondering, how does not one, but two top teams in Formula One 
make this mistake on a on a weekend when earlier in the weekend Aston Martin said we're not running at the 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 right height that we want to with this with the upgrades that we brought because it's so bumpy here we're worried about ride height we're not in an optimal uh, optimal conditions we saw earlier in the in the year at a spa with the red bulls backing off losing almost like a second in that sector going up Eau rouge because of the vertical compression in that and really worried about ride height so red bull you know were on it but I don't know if their planks were checked. I haven't checked what ones, what four cars were checked after that race. But, uh, but with so much uh, emphasis on all of these things to be compliant, how do two top teams make this mistake? And who gets, uh, you know, a really bad phone call from the team bosses first thing tomorrow morning? Two things, Martin. I think first of all, the Spa example you cite is different because it's only one thing that the teams had to really you know, worry about there. And that was the compression at Rouge and Red Bull were very clever in doing that, let's face it, because they, they knew that if they did that, they could run at their, not traditionally, but, you know, typically lower ride height and keep their underfloor aero advantage. No one could do it here. We could see it trackside on Friday. Even the Red Bull was running higher than usual. Like it's, it was rare to see it uh, up that high. And the reason why it's happened here, as in the blanks have got worn, is because there are so many bumps. I mean, we we ran the track as well on Thursday. And there's something I didn't notice in 2022. There's just strips of it have been torn out and relayed and relayed very well. Like They were very smooth. I couldn't feel anything in particularly at those points, like under my feet. But it shows you just how much this track changes year on year, right? And they hadn't run at full tanks at any point. It's the sprint weekend. And when you've got a situation like that, so because Spa, again, actually, it's a good example that you cited there, Martin, in terms of Spa, because that was a sprint weekend as well. But as I've said, the track surface other than Eau Rouge is pretty much normal, okay, not billiard table smooth, but smooth enough, right? Whereas here, it's so bumpy in the first and second sectors, particularly the the first sector. Then you've got the curbs problem, things like that. Um that I think it can just happen. They hadn't run on fuel tanks because of the restrictions uh, on, they hadn't run on full fuel tanks because of the restrictions of the sprint weekend. And they just got caught out. And and the thing is, is with the teams that have been caught out here, Mercedes and Ferrari, they've got to go ag- more aggressive than Red Bull. They've got more to gain if they run their ride heights, perhaps not as high on, you know, it's all relative on, on in terms of what they would typically do at other circuits. So yeah, I don't think that, I don't think that there'll be any particular team boss fury so it's all probably fairly uh fairly philosophical sanguine about it after all there's no title fight it's just it's it's one of those things it's quite irritating but it can happen there is a widespread dissatisfaction with the state of the track not just because of the bumps but also the hitherto people have sort of described it in terms of a patchwork quilt but um, I, I think there are many patchwork quilts out there, which if they were sentient would be offended by that because <laughs> um, the, it, it is so mixed. And there are, whenever you apply a new bit of tarmac, there is a transition point and it doesn't matter how good the quality of workmanship is. Um, there's a point where you go, the car goes off the old tarmac and goes onto the new. And there's a tiny bit of a join, which may not look like much to the naked eye, but um, will be felt by the driver as they go over it uh, at high speed. Uh, And also it changes the dynamics of the track. So Lando Norris was pointing out that there is one of these transitions, I think at turn 12, where they've resurfaced part of it. And basically you hit this transition just as you're hitting the brakes, which makes the act of braking for that corner all the more tricky. So the, the resurfacing cuts beyond the issue of bumps probably the thing to do would be to just resurface it all but um it does this area does seem to be prone to subsidence so you can understand why the promoter would not necessarily want to be doing that every year i think it's a problem with the whole of austin we've uh, been given a microscopically small <laughs> hire car and it's been lost in some of the bumps and we've been thrown about quite a lot had alex not taken uh, or done very well to avoid some of the enormous craters that they're like four ton trucks glide over here well you're you're far too kind to, uh, to to give me any credit for that you guys have been suffering more because as the driver i can see the bumps that are coming you might not necessarily be concentrating on the road but yeah it is it's it's uh it's pretty all over the place loud. well let's actually talk about some uh, some motor racing then and although the result that we saw on tv is uh, is changed still plenty to get into now on friday's podcast i asked you alex who had the better chance 
of the win this weekend between Leclerc and Norris. And you said, well, you know, I'll take your two options, but actually I think Verstappen's got the best chance and you should be looking at Hamilton as his main challenger. And then last night on Saturday, I said to Hayden, when will Max take the the lead? A kind of a cheeky question. Like, oh, at what point will he get the lead? And he goes, I reckon the halfway point. And there you go, lap 28 of, of 56. So you guys have uh, duly delivered. Anyone would think you do this for a living. There was actually quite a lot to learn from the current order of performance, I guess. But we'll start with, start with Max Verstappen. How close was he today to not winning that Grand Prix? Very close. I think Mercedes, obviously, it would have all been academic. And, and then there would have been an even bigger argument about, you know, the results changing after a, a win has been secured. But yeah, I think this was a win not thrown away by Mercedes, but definitely a, a, a legitimate win shot lost. And there's various reasons why. And we'll start with Verstappen, I think, because, yeah, he was he was he was excellent. But he wasn't sprint race excellent, where he was just in another class. And well, Red Bull are putting that down to is a few things. One, the wind uh, changed a little bit today, and that was making it very unpredictable uh, for all the drivers. Like you saw, all of the top three, obviously not now in the final classification, but the the, the top three finishes uh, pretty much off the road at turn eleven because they'd locked up uh, and and gone wide there. Uh, but the main thing for Max Verstappen was his brakes. Now they changed those ahead of the race in Park Ferme. You are allowed to do that. It's fairly typical. It doesn't happen every round, of course, but there's nothing stopping them doing teams doing that so long as as long as the parts are of absolutely identical specification. And it, it can just happen that if things haven't been sort of bedded in or, or put in properly or, you know, a quality control issue or whatever, things can just feel differently. And Max said from lap one, the brakes weren't feeling good. And he, he got ever more agitated to his engineer, G, uh, Gianpiero Lambiesi. Uh, through the race, uh, particularly as uh, GP was talking to him in the breaking zones towards the end, which Max claimed he uh, he politely asked him to stop doing. And when the when, when the when the press conference room laughed at that comment, Max said, "Well, I did say please," <laughs> ignoring the rest of the horrendous tone he was using. But again, that's the sign. I think I, I fully subscribe to Lewis Hamilton's point from the press conference after the British Grand Prix that when Max Verstappen is swearing and agitated down the radio, there is a chance he will lose a race. Not not because he's like going to stress out and go off or anything because he's under pressure and he's feeling it and yeah Max swears all the time on the radio fine but you can hear a certain agitation in his voice when he's really under pressure and it's clear Red Bull was but the main the main thing here in this race is Mercedes itself so the brake problem made things harder for Max it meant that he couldn't um, uh, replicate the pace he showed in the sprint race but there are various elements of time that Mercedes lost so the start, Lewis Hamilton was regretted all his starts this weekend, but at the start of this race, Carlos Sainz got ahead. There's at least a couple of seconds he lost uh, uh, repassing and his margin of defeat was 2.225 seconds. So automatically you'd say, right, if we're going to look at this fairly simplistically, that's enough to to sort of come the end of a different race in an alternate universe, he might win. Then there's the pit stops. Lewis said he went long at one of his pit stops, uh, which didn't help his team. Toto Wolff saying that Mercedes equipment and systems are not out of date, but maybe just aren't quite as top of the range, top of the expertise, top of the thinking that the other teams are doing. Uh, And then the other thing is, is the strategy. Now we saw Max Verstappen and Red Bull were very aggressive, committed to the two stop, never thought the one stopper was on. Mercedes thought the one stopper was on and they elected to leave Hamilton out to try it, but his pace collapsed and it, and, and it bears that out in the times. He's in the sort of mid-low sort of one minute 42.3, 42.4 quite consistently. And then towards the end of his stint, he's up to the one forty two sevens, And then the lap before he stopped, he's back in the mid one minute 43. So it, do, it does bear out. The Mercedes suddenly thought, oh, hang on, actually, we, we can't sustain this pace. So, right, we've got an offset. Let's just bank that and see if it comes back to us. But at that point, as Christian Horner points out, they were indecisive. They were in the middle of of two options and that's never a good place to be. And Lewis Hamilton, he's fairly certain. I put that to him and he said, well, I wouldn't say sort of certainty, but when he was asked by someone else, could you have won with a different strategy? Immediately, the answer was yes. So I think he feels that had he pitted uh, a lap after Max Verstappen pitted, things would have been closer. They probably would have fought it out on track uh, and things might have been different. You know, he could have stayed in the hump with DRS, he, you know, they ran different tyres at different times and the final stint he was on the mediums, which turned out to be the better tyre in the race and Max was on the hards. So this definitely was a case of, you could argue, Mercedes perhaps should have won this race, even though Hamilton ultimately have been disqualified. They they talked about wanting to build an offset and 
through leaving Lewis out for longer. But the fact is they only managed four laps, which isn't a meaningful offset by any stretch of the imagination. And for at least two of those uh, laps, Max was doing one minute forties while Lewis was doing one minute 43s. So you can see where all that time disappeared and then sort of to add insult to injury, as it were, Lewis's pit stop was then quite slow because the front right was slow to come off. Yeah, I think you can cite a couple more bits in the race as well. Um, I would just add on the Verstappen. Yeah, this is all helpful for the report. I haven't, <laughs> I haven't yet written, so please tell me more. But if maybe this detail on Verstappen will help, or you can throw it away as Horner talking claptrap. But he he sort of theorised that because Max was unhappy in the brakes, and you saw him like locking up at turn eleven. You know that lockup then put his tires in a temperature window and uh, in the wrong temperature window, and because he was uncomfortable in the brakes, he couldn't then bring them back down. And obviously. You know, with the RB19 and being being soft and so compliant, that's allowed Max to really sort of exaggerate how good he is at nursing the tyres. So that element was taken away. But other things, I think, is like, you know, off the line even, Russell, if he gets a better start, he should be ahead of Verstappen into, into turn one. Is that a second or two more? And if I could revert back to uh, my... Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and pick another like, philosophical spread... Doing the team boss rounds at the end of the race, thought it was interesting. McLaren, obviously Norris gets a, a mega launch, so he dives up the inside of Leclerc into turn one. But they soon identified, you know, regretfully, as is the state of F1 in 2023, they soon identified that Verstappen was a main challenger. But nonetheless, their process and their strategy was, how do we get the win? Whereas Mercedes and Wolf has said, that wasn't our target. It was about maximising the result and not the win. And again, I think that sort of philosophical difference or the, the difference in approach as uh, then feeds into what Alex was saying about basically a compromise strategy. And, you know, with, with the pace of Hamilton, it, and OK, you also have that added element if he catches um, Verstappen, you know, he does need to do an overtake and how knows who knows how that goes with those two. But... There are three or four cases, as we picked out between us, where those 2.2 seconds are, are accounted for. And fundamentally, it, and, and very unfortunately, because this is one of the boring subjects in Formula One, it does come down to tyre degradation or, in some cases, lack thereof. Um, the, the, the fact is that, as it turned out, the, there was not very much difference in the degradation characteristics of the medium and hard compound tyres, but there was a meaningful difference in the grip. So the people who had been counting on uh, trading off uh, grip versus uh, lack of degradation, hoping for a better time on the hard tyres, went away disappointed. And uh, one of those parties was McLaren. Um, they thought generally their car worked better on hard tyres. They'd got their ducks in a line beforehand. Both Norris and Piastri had two new sets of hard tyres and one set of mediums. So they were uh, committed to that hard, hard, medium. Well, medium, hard, hard, as it turned out, because they started on mediums. So so that was the way they were going to have to play it. And as it happened, those tyres just didn't generate the grip. And then, of course, um, Max, when he made his pit stop... Um, he went medium, medium. The medium tyres need less of a warm-up, so he had much better uh, advantage at that point uh, on his outlap and getting the tyres up to speed. And, and that was what proved critical, not just in getting past Hamilton, but also in, in, in getting Norris as well. Can I get your thoughts on, again, the strategy of this this idea of a one-stop and whether it could have worked or not? We saw well, Daniel Ricciardo tried it in the Alpha Tauri and pretty much towards the end gave up and just changed his tyres on that. They, Ferrari really hung Leclerc out and said, no, uh, you're going to, you, you know, you will do that. And we saw Mercedes dither, Horner called it no man's land of not quite knowing are we going to commit to this or not. And I'll kind of come back to that slightly earlier question, which is how do these top teams sometimes get it so wrong? What is going on that a top team like Ferrari can be an outlier and go, no, this is the strategy that we think we'll do when, uh, like Leclerc said, we need to go away and look at the data we were working at because it's, it's just so obvious that a one-stop was not the right thing to do here. So how do Ferrari and Mercedes, when they were kind of dithering, get it so wrong? I think I think Leclerc there is speaking a little bit with the benefit of hindsight and having had a chance to compartmentalise everything because Ferrari's issue was 
the, the numbers said a one-stop worked. It wasn't like it was immediately apparent it wouldn't. Although I have to say, Codders, you and I went to went to Aston Martin and they sort of laughed off the, the idea or the prospect of a one-stop. That was on Sunday morning. Uh, we went to the Tom McCulloch briefing and the very mention of a one-stop, you know, engineers are generally pragmatic and not, you know, stand-up comedian in their demeanour, but just, just the thought of a, the merest mention of a one-stop had him giggling, didn't it? Absolutely. And so the fact that Ferrari, the the simulations pointed to basically very little difference between a one-stop and a two-stop suggests that their numbers were wrong. And there can be several different reasons for that. And it wasn't, you know, sticking with Aston Martin, their whole simulation ahead of this weekend was wrong, which is why they turned up with the smaller front brake ducts they've introduced with a recent upgrade. They basically taped off too much in, you know, in this complex in sport, the, the duct tape, you know, they're a bit excessive with it. Um, and that's because their their numbers, their simulation back in back in Silverstone was wrong. So, you know, I wonder if that feeds into Ferrari's situation. But, you know, in terms of who's to blame, it might be a, like a longer, like baked in infrastructure thing. If, if everything they had on the readout was good until Leclerc gets so far in, realises it's not, by which time, you know, if he if he takes an extra pit stop, he, he plummets down the order, which obviously comes with a caveat that that would have been immaterial anyway. I don't think deciding on a one-stopper was that mad of a decision. For several reasons, it makes sense. One, Ferrari's data said it was on. Mercedes' data clearly said it was on. Pirelli thought it might be on as well. But various factors added up. So, for example, the track evolution made the medium perform better than the hard because the track had just gripped up. Um, but also, just just terms of thinking, sort of, uh, hopefully logically, not often my strong seat, um, if you start, if you do a one-stopper and there's a safety car when your rivals have already pitted, you can bank that free time. And that has happened at Austin reasonably regularly. So I don't think it's totally insane that they tried it. What was really bad was not doing what Mercedes did and realising it wasn't on yeah. and totally abandoning it. So yeah, his race would have been compromised, but it would have been less compromised than it ended up being. So yeah, Leclerc was right on his radio when they were like, do you want to try, what was it, plan D? And he was like, "Well, Plan C's already screwed me. I can't that I can't get out of this because you know that that's that's just that's just totally gone." So yeah, it's it's it's. I think the the trying it was 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 fine from my point of view, but the not realizing they'd got it wrong was the bigger the bigger sin. Put me in mind of that terrible tank scene in Fast and Furious Six. Was one of the great lines of dialogue, which is like Plan great a- line to yeah. dialogue. It's Fast and Furious yeah. Six. It's, that uh, is a bold claim. It, I think it's uh, I think it's it's Tyrese Gibson going. Uh, no, I think it's uh, Ludacris going Plan C D E. To which Tyrese Gibson uh, Tyrese Gibson interjects was, "Oh no, we need more alphabet." <laughs> the track evolution has been quite a thing. Probably the reason for um, the relative lack of uh, difference in degradation between the two different tyre compounds this weekend. And that's because it's it's been quite busy because the American audiences uh, like uh, a bit of entertainment. So we've had three F1 Academy races, um, a couple of thoroughbred Grand Prix races, sorry, Masters races, fabulously rorty, <laughs> old bleeds, as one of our older colleagues would have described it. So the, the, I'm, I'm going to digress here, but isn't it marvellous when, when you watch a Masters race and you see basically some tuggy old piece of junk from the 1970s um, beating a ground effect uh, championship winning Williams simply because of the difference in the driving ability. But, uh, you know, I won't demean these millionaires. Um, (laughs) Speaking of wealthy people, we've also had the dentists out in the Porsche Super Cup. So it's it's been busy and a lot of rubber's been laid down and it hasn't rained. So the, the track has evolved a fair bit more than it did in Qatar, for instance. Let's talk about the constructors then. So McLaren leapfrogged Aston Martin for the that big fourth place battle, eighty odd something points behind Ferrari. So third is uh, would require a bit of a stellar finish from both McLarens for the next four races and a complete implosion from Ferrari. But at least uh, it looks like they are more secure in that that fourth place. Of course, helped by Aston bringing 
a big upgrade here and then deciding to do a pit lane start. Alonso and Stroll starting from uh, the pit lane for various reasons. Alonso running Qatar spec and Stroll running new, uh, new stuff. So they've got some data there to compare as we head straight to Mexico now, but they'll be working on that um, immediately scruffy weekend for Piastri and then of course of that collision with Ocon uh, eventually put him uh, uh, put him out of the running but even uh, all weekend really Piastri hasn't been on it as much as uh, as Norris so where do we head into in that battle in the next four races then gents I mean McLaren have been on the ascendancy and you know kind of got a bit of momentum on their side luck on their side as well pick inheriting a second place uh, today and Aston with a lot of work to do just going back to the disqualification is that it helps McLaren massively against Ferrari because it was sort of put to uh, uh, Lando Norris in the press conference that, oh, you, you, you've, you've caught Aston, maybe you get Ferrari as well. And he was like, well, no, they out- actually outscored us in this race because Piastri wasn't in it. Well, now Leclerc's not in the results. So therefore, McLaren outscored Ferrari. Uh, so that's very helpful for them. But uh, what's more helpful is, and again, the press, I'll bring up the press conference again, Lando Norris had the room, whole room laughing when he said the line, Aston Martin, with every update they've put on the car, they've made it slower. And when, when the press room reacted with, uh, with, with titters, is what I would describe it, that kind of laughter. Hark at Frankie Howard here. Well, we've introduced Codders to the Inbetweeners this weekend because we live rock and roll F1 lifestyles in Airbnbs. Uh, so, yeah, so perhaps we're just on the slightly childish side, but there we go. Um, yeah, well, but what I'm getting at there is that um, he was astonished that anybody was laughing. He was basically like, oh, look, I'm stating a fact here. Aston is not the team. Well, it's, it's the team. It's not the car that it was at the beginning of the season. So, yeah, I think um, McLaren got to be greatly encouraged uh, by the situation they find themselves in. What they're not going to be encouraged by is the fact that Lando Norris said our best tracks are behind us. You know, they go well on the super high speed tracks. So Silverstone, Suzuka, Qatar, especially. I think Norris is still smarting from the fact that he made those mistakes and potentially blew potentially at least two propositions, maybe even two wins that weekend. So, yeah, it's, it's both good and bad uh, for McLaren and Brazil. And then I said it's he's expecting it to be pretty shocking there. Well, he thought, you know, of, of his entire race, he was most sort of unstuck, wasn't it? Turning into turn 11, lockups going wide. Uh, when Max was closing down, he was sort of almost choking under the pressure. Well, if you put that down to the car, it's because it's what we know. It's a slow speed, you know, fiddly apexes like that where the car's off throttle and unbalanced. And then, you know, whereas in Austin, you've got, one corner over the lap that's like that then you go to slower speed um what, what's we've got brazil abu dhabi street track las vegas street track mexico sort of that you know i guess you would almost class it as a hybrid that especially with that stadium section you're going to have a lot more of those peppering the lap so i think you know norris is saying that's the best opportunity gotten for the win and then you've got the other element which is it's the tail end of the season. There will be no, I think as Stella said this exact word, there will be no more magic developments. And while that goes for the rest of the teams as well, you know, Haas uh, attempting to go down the Red Bull, uh, downwash side pod concept this week, that that aside, there will be no sort of um, new game-changing upgrade. So this is almost a competitive order locked in. So you're back to where we were, sort of, I guess, you know, Imola, Miami time, where you're looking at a dodgy Red Bull pit stop or a bit of unreliability or potentially a crash for, for Norris or Piastri to, to get a Grand Prix win. It was quite interesting that Aston chose to bring an upgrade package to a sprint weekend. And, uh, you know, the team boss, Mike Crack, in his... Uh, post-race debrief acknowledged that it had been a risk and it shows that they are in a, in a hurry to put out try and add performance to the car and and the reason for it being a risk is is that you just have one session uh on the friday uh with which to go through a lot of different um evaluations you have to evaluate the package in all sorts of states the different ride heights the various configurations you run the car and um, you need a completely clean session, and that's exactly what they didn't get. So it, it's probably a little bit unfair to say that this package has made the car slower because it, not enough data has has been uh, learned yet. Certainly, previous updates haven't worked. Um, but you know, the, at the same time, Lance Stroll has had a result today. He he benefited from both he and Alonso benefited from uh, three or four cars pitting ahead of him. Joe, when, when Alfa Romeo 
pitted Joe Guan Yu at the end of lap eight. That um, set off a sort of cascade of Alban, Bottas, Magnussen uh, pitting as well. So the Astons gained, you know, net four places thanks to that and found themselves on the, the cusp of the of, of the top 10, having started from the pit lane. So they benefited from that. Lance did do a bit of on-track overtaking. So at the moment, the jury really is out on the uh, Aston upgrade. Can I throw a bold sweeping statement into a discussion of the battle behind Red Bull? Uh, I wonder whether Ferrari will win in Las Vegas. Because if you look at the track layout there, it's basically Monza with walls. They've got a Monza-specific package. They were excellent there back in September. So, you know, that that's potentially more another swing coming in that fight. That said, everything I've uh, everybody I've spoken to this weekend for a feature that I'm writing for the venerable GP Racing magazine, edited by Stuart Codling, sounds like that race could be the cold temperatures. Like, if the, if the drivers lose tyre temperature, if someone has an, has an accident, there's going to be another accident after safety car restart because it's going to be very, very, very tricky. So something totally mad could happen so you know it's uh yeah it's 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 going to keep it interesting to, to to the end of the season in terms of that battle behind Red Bull yeah Aston Martin will definitely be disappointed with Fernando Alonso's uh DNF with floor damage because he was on four points today especially with getting moved up after those disqualifications but that'll definitely be a a boost for Lance Stroll coming off a, a well Pretty rough, perhaps an understatement, run of recent races. And Alpine as well will be disappointed because Gasly right up there, finishing in sixth in the final classification. But again, Ocon having retired after that damage, again, they will see that as points definitely lost. Let's talk about some of the other standout performances then, gents. And firstly, we've got to talk about Logan Sargent in a moment, scoring points. Uh, an American on American soil, scoring points. Uh, not it's not quite Michael Andretti on the podium in Italy in '93, but uh, yeah, he'll take it. He doesn't want a podium. Point points will do. So that's very good for an American result. But uh, let's start with Yuki Tsunoda, which I thought was brilliant. What a what a fantastic! You know, he was in tenth, so therefore fastest lap counts. He had the gap behind him, pitted for softs, got the fastest lap. One becomes two points, and well, that becomes five with those uh, ahead of him. So I, you know, honourable mention for Yuki, but. Uh, what do you guys think about the sort of lower lower portions of the top 10 and who was a standout? Well, Sonoda was slightly less good in his very late defence against Lance Stroll because that really could have ended in a horrific accident. Uh, but given the opportunity to get the fastest lap, nailed it. Daniel Ricciardo's back, that amps, um, amps up pressure on him and Sonoda's delivered, so yeah. Alex Albon, also honourable mention, no new medium tyres left for the start of this race. Uh, so um, he had quite a bit of a struggle there there was an issue with track limits for which he was penalized um so that left williams having to defend his position even though at the time he was running outside the top 10 but they were concerned about whether he would finish the requisite more than five seconds ahead of uh, nico hulkenberg and in the in the closing laps they really did deliver hulkenberg fell off a bit but um, Alban clung on and Logan Sargent passed Hulkenberg. So uh, that you know, is, is basically a top 10 on merit, even given that it was P12 in the, in the, in the first classification. But he, he was in the right place at the right time when they reclassified and got rid of the two cars from the top 10. Uh, and also Logan had a bit of a shocker at the start, having made a decent getaway, managed to hit a sausage curb and trigger the anti-stall. So he was very much at the tail end. So decent comeback from him. Can we, um, can we do dishonourable mentions? Always. Yes. Right. Well, we, I think you know where I'm going. Lance Stroll <laughs> started from the pit lane, decided what to performance, decided to drive to the grid where he was not supposed to be. Uh, was in fact summoned to explain himself uh, by the stewards. I thought that was pretty bad. That that was hilarious, actually. So I was standing on the grid talking to. Um, uh, the, some members of the Fleet Street posse, Beck Clancy and Ben Hunt, and all of a sudden, Aston Martin mechanics started sprinting up the grid. Uh, and at first, I thought, oh, "What are they doing here?" Because uh, neither of their uh, cars should be uh, on the grid. And then, just sort of, I sort of stood on tiptoes to um, look look past the the Alpine of, I think Esteban Ocon that was just in front of me, and the various mechanics, and saw this um, green shape being hurriedly shuffled behind the pit wall. 
I hope when he was called in front of the stewards, he developed a bit more of a robust sort of explanation uh, than what he gave in the media pen when his uh, response to why did you sort of turn up on the grid was not sure really. So uh, another beautifully loquacious pen session with uh, with uh, Lance. Yes, if you're going to do a Kimmy, then you need to have Kimmy's talent to pull that one off. So let's talk about the, very quickly, the Haas cars uh, in the US. I think really high hopes before this weekend, talks of what they can do with their package and hoping that when they, they bolt all the, the new bits on, uh, that it all matches what they think it will do. Final classification, Hulkenberg 11th and Magnussen 14th. But of course, that is slightly distorted by those ahead of them being disqualified. Uh, it seemed like a bit of a letdown weekend arriving for their sort of American Grand Prix, at least. Uh, what went wrong there with Haas? Well, they were caught out, I think, by the sprint race format again, sort of not having enough time to validate the uh, upgrade package, which was fitted in a uh, workshop in Austin, which I think put all of us in mind of, like, I don't know, some, some like, good old boys, you know, and it's, like, doing it around, like, a load of Mopar stuff. But uh, anyway, so they, they turned up with a new upgrade, um... Red Bull downwash side pod final team sort of converge around that idea and the main problem to address obviously you're looking for pace but the main thing is is um, an aero imbalance which has just destroyed their tyre wear and I think that's been exacerbated in windy conditions and it really didn't do that in the sprint race Magnussen and Hulkenberg like and, and Steiner was like, it's not done what we've expected this hasn't worked we're no good so there was you know as uh, they changed uh, spec to start from the pit lane although you know Aston Martin changed a lot of the car to justify that pit lane start the Haas uh, uh, couple uh, were just registered as a rear wing specification so implying that they weren't a million miles off or, or, or certainly that the, the influence that that had but they were yeah better in the race happier with, with pace and, and Hulkenberg sort of just was just so pleased because he was. It was at the end of a stint, and he could overtake cars. Like it wasn't groundbreaking, it wasn't revolutionary, but it was at least some variance on the scripts that they've they've had all season. Um, but I think certainly for us, and you get the sense of speaking to the team when so much was pinned on an upgrade, you would expect to maybe gain a couple of positions from it, and it was sort of s- same old, really. Did you know? It's my best Stuart Codling impression. Uh, that. Hassan, not the only team to have used a rented local facility this season to make changes to its car. After the Imola round was unfortunately cancelled due to the horrific weather there, uh, McLaren took uh, their Formula One cars to a facility in uh, northern Italy and uh, rewrapped it for their uh, 60th anniversary livery ahead of the Monaco Spanish Grand Prix. So, yeah, not just Hass that are renting local workspaces. Righty-ho, let's look forward then. This is the first of a triple header heading off to Sao Paulo, which is about 800 metres above sea level, but very famously, Mexico is about 2,200. Now, in previous years, our listeners might have recalled hearing stuff about how thin the air is, the effect on aero, those teams that have got better internal combustion bits having an advantage. What's the case with this current generation of cars in 2023 and some predictions for what we head into now with no time really apart from pack up the stuff get it on air freight and get it to mexico city uh well max Verstappen should lap the entire field twice i think that would be uh, i think that would be fairly fairly not hard to um to predict but um but i think the other thing uh yes red bull go there because we just know that they're um they're very very strong in mexico city historically uh and they've got um very healthy maximum downforce package to put on the engine thing is is not really an issue now that the, they're all sort of converged mercedes and ferrari did a did a lot of work to uh to, to to fix that although ferrari was bad there last year because they had to turn down everything turn the turbos down even more than they were already after early in the season because of reliability issues because basically everything was getting so hot uh, they didn't want to. They didn't want to uh, not finish the race. So Ferrari might be one to keep an eye on in terms of the engine things, but that hasn't been so much of an issue uh, in 2023. Uh, Alpine, of course, has its has its deficit, but I don't think that's a that's a particular altitude problem. Um, my big prediction actually is Mercedes 
uh, I think they could be a, a, a real threat. They were a real threat there last year had they made certain choices and George Russell not uh, made a mistake in qualifying. And I think what's interesting here is I think we've seen a certain Lewis Hamilton effect on Mercedes. He is like a multiple winner here at Austin. He is sort of a noted track specialist. He said that uh, it's the first time he's felt the upgrades. He said they he reckoned the upgraded Mercedes stuff uh, was worth one tenth and that gave him such confidence it gave him an extra tenth. But we could see it in FP1, you know, when we're a track side, that Russell was 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 all at sea, especially on the rears. This track is all about rear tyre management. We know that that's somewhere where Hamilton has the edge and Russell doesn't. So I think Hamilton also boosted Mercedes in the US Grand Prix. Mercedes itself thinks Mexico is its next big opportunity. And we know it then goes on to Brazil, where it won last year and Red Bull got things wrong on the tyres on the sprint weekend. This might be a bit of a sort of uh, crackpot theory, but I'm not, you know, I'm... I'm with with Mercedes and their optimism around Mexico, part of the reason they did so well last year was because the air was so thin, it massively offset the draggy W13, but that hasn't reared its head or certainly not been talked about as being as much of a problem with this car. So whether, you know, because Mercedes are that better off this year, they'll be closer to Red Bull or because the thin air or that, that sort of drag issue won't be negated so much, whether that that won't bring them together, if, if, if that makes I, sense. I think it's still... Draggier than the Red Bull, though, isn't it? Yeah. So that yeah. so that's that's what's boosting their confidence. If that yeah. makes sense. Um, uh, for for me, the, there are sort of far too many unknowns here. Although you know the matter of the dragginess of the Mercedes is a known unknown. Um, so my my only prediction is that um, Alex is going to be able to enjoy a short holiday afterwards, courtesy of our uh, momentous fancy dress competition win last year. Enjoy your holiday in Mexico as well, very very well. Uh, earned and well deserved as well after last year's win. We're looking forward to uh, finding out uh, more about how the season will conclude uh, with just those four more Grand Prix in your podcast feed. Make sure you are looking out for some uh, future podcasts uh, to talk about uh, Aston Martin and their return to uh, WEC and sports cars. That'll be in your feed very soon as well. Plus, of course, all usual F1 stuff. Thank you very much, gents, for your time this evening. Thank you for listening, dear listener. And we'll catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.